Troopers, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. It is the Christmas season, and today's episode is titled, All I Want for Christmas is... Three Primary Objectives, or Three Primary Aims. The narcissist sociopath with the Cluster B Personality Disorder desires three essential things that are required for survival. The National Institute of Mental Health suggests that approximately 9.2% of people in the United States meet the criteria for a personality disorder, which includes narcissism and antisocial personality disorder, which is also known as sociopathy. Often the conditions exist together as comorbidities, hence the new term, narcopath. It is imperative that we understand the underpinnings of this disorder in order to recognize it and steer clear of it. That's our objective, guys. Narcissism appears on a spectrum, and most of them are unaware of the logistics that make them tick. Acknowledgement of these inner mechanisms rarely happen because it would require some degree of self-reflection and honesty, and the cluster B disordered person is not capable of either of those things. But there are three common things that every narcopath, which again is your narcissistic sociopath, um, that they require simply to survive Their whole life is about the acquisition of these three things, and they will do absolutely anything to get them. Number one, the acquisition of fuel and supply. Number two, the acquisition of residual benefits. And number three, the acquisition of character traits. Let's take a look at the first one the acquisition of fuel and supply. The narcopath cannot survive without fuel. He is an addict who is addicted to narcissistic supply. Delicious, delightful, decadent supply. Generous amounts flowing like a never-ending waterfall of fuel. They will murder their mothers, eat their children, and suffocate their spouses to get that life-sustaining fuel. Nothing is going to get in their way. The majority of narcissists seeking fuel can be converted to the quest for something called sadistic supply when they discover that humiliating another individual is even more gratifying and shows that they have more power and control, and thus they become converts who become addicted to this stronger addictive drug of psychopathic supply. It's almost like an epiphany or a religious experience from whence they seldom return. So that's another type of fuel or supply that we need to be aware of. You can kind of research that some more on your own. Psychopathic supply or sadistic supply. Various kinds of fuel can be obtained in a number of ways. Fuel is the emotional energy and food that is given to the narcopath that feeds them and keeps them going. It is derived 
from various forms of contact. And once they have depleted one source, they're going to just move on to other sources to provide this sustenance. They are constantly on the hunt for sources of fuel and have both primary, secondary, and even tertiary sources of fuel in this multi-tiered system that they have. They love to create a reaction, whether good or bad, as long as they have the power, the control, and the spotlight. So attention is like water for a person suffering from a narcissistic disorder. Um, They have to have it daily and in copious amounts in order to stay alive. Positive attention is preferred, but you know, any kind of attention will do as long as all eyes are on them. So attention is important type of fuel source. In addition to this, we have affection. Affection is another important component to fuel acquisition. They thrive on being uh, on the receiving end of affectionate gestures, which could be anything from a hug or a massage or a cuddle under a blanket. They also love being touched and petted and stroked and held like children. And not only physical affection, they love gestures of affection, little gifts and surprises, acts of kindness and service, acts of sacrifice and sweetness. It's as if he wants you to be his mother, which is an apt dynamic for unresolved issues with parental figures from a painful past. He expects this parentified partner. Yes, that's actually a word. Parentified means to the verb to to show what it is the process of transforming your your spouse or romantic partner, significant other into a parent figure, um, a mother proxy. Um, And they do this so that they can be soothed and provided with safety. Um, And all this time they're expecting a different outcome by converting the partner into the parent he can create this different ending to what was a failure with the original parent, you know, parent of origin. Um, And that is a no-win situation. Adoration is one of the best sources of fuel. And this is the last one we're going to talk about as far as fuel sources go. They love being elevated to the status of a god. They want to be the highest deity in your own personal temple, which holds all the power and wonder and awe for them. You know, you have to just, they want you to perceive them as all that. Their sense of entitlement makes it understandable that the need for a cadre of worshiping groupies is irresistible to the narcopath. They try to elicit admiration from those around them by exuding a sense of superiority and an air of being special, unique, and powerful. They are actually quite charming and create a sense of stickiness as they ensnare their victims, like much like a spider in a web. Stickiness is also something from the world of uh, technology and information and um, you know, IT and also from education. We talk about ways to make our lessons sticky so that they never go away. They're with the students forever. And when our students are grandparents, they're going to be telling their grandchildren, yep, these are the B verbs. 
let me tell you, am, is, are, was, were, have, has, had, all that stuff, they're going to still know it in 60 years because it's sticky. And <clears throat> that's exactly what we're talking about here. They, they are like spiders who create this sense of stickiness when they get their victims and they expect the partner to become a parent, a co-conspirator, fellow adventurer, all of this in a fantasy world that's created by their false self or maybe maybe not so much created by the false self as created for the false self to live in. Partners usually succumb and join a shared fantasy world where they live beside the narcopath and in this illusory world of delusion until the abuse cycle continues on to the final discard stage. The Let's move on to something else, second thing to talk about. The, so the first thing that we said is the reason that the narcissist, um, what drives them forward, what compels them, what, what wakes them up in the morning and sets them going, uh, gets them going, is that they have to acquire fuel or supply. So that was number one. Here's number two. This is the big one, big one. We're going to leave behind all the discussion of fuel and all that stuff. So this is number two, the acquisition of residual benefits or perks. Okay, so that's the second thing that keeps the narcopath going. And it's, you know, let me just start by saying the narcopath is the world's greatest opportunist. They are survivors of the highest caliber. They intuitively seek what they need and they do whatever it takes without conscience or remorse to obtain it. So what are the residual benefits that are so important to the narcissist? Well, it's anything and everything that you have that the narcopath might want. Since they are entitled and have no boundaries, they believe that these resources you have to offer are theirs for the taking. And these are the perks that the narcissist enjoys as a byproduct of their relationship with you. Um, I personally was a college professor, dance teacher, and esteemed member of the academic community when I first met my ex-husband who was young, yep, uncultured, and trapped in poverty. He saw an opportunity and he took it. For the next 15 years, he developed into everything he had aspired to be and even more than he could have imagined. When he had taken everything I had to offer and contaminated every relationship I had with those most valuable in my life to me via his many transgressions throughout the many years, he decided it was time to get fresh fuel. Thus, he discarded me without warning. And that's really important. You know, the I wrote an article over a year ago. It was one of my best articles called The Way They Leave You Tells You Everything. And wow, isn't that true? The way they leave is just like, it's not like a normal breakup or anything like you can even imagine. They um, just like suddenly over a period of minutes, hours, 
transform into a completely different person that is unrecognizable. Like you don't even know them and the things they say to you and the things they do, the way that they just leave so coldly and cruelly, such a savage and brutal way to end it. You know, it's like they just piss all over your, your last like two decades together. Like it was nothing like they erased it. Like they're getting a, a flamethrower and they're just going to burn the whole thing to the ground. It is mind blowing. It's just, you know, I was in shock. I couldn't even think of what to say when it was happening because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I didn't know who is this person standing here in front of me. Unbelievable. So, um, so that's what they do. Um, after 16 years, I thought we were bulletproof. We were planning to move to New England and we had this future all mapped out. We had a real estate agent up there. We had spent the whole year looking for jobs and getting certifications and taking tests and prepping for the move. We sold part, part of our furniture for the move to get ready for the move. Like just, a, you know, in the weeks Leading up to his sudden departure, we were doing these things to get ready to go. And I was so excited because I was going to be closer to one of my children and, and to a grandchild that I really wanted to, to be um, part of her life. But, you know, boom, before you know it, it's just, um, it's insanity. <laughs> How quickly that things change with these guys um, right up into the minute that he just turned on me and just ripped my soul right out of my body. Even now, I can't believe how he could be capable of that kind of butchery. Um, so if you have something that, that they think is valuable, you become a prime target. It could be money, connections, career assistance, social status, a meal ticket, or a lifestyle. They are glib, charming, charismatic predators who are highly manipulative, Machiavellian even. You know, the ends justify the means. So if you have something that will benefit them in some way, watch out. These are the residual benefits that they, um, that they seek when they're hunting for this perfect, perfect partner to couple with. So, and just one little side note, I think marriage means nothing. It means nothing. They don't take, I mean, they're just, it's just words in a piece of paper that enables them to get more of what they want. In the end, they're just going to piss all over that. And, and, um, you know, they will have already gotten what they needed to get from you. And then they, you know, so what if you've got this piece of paper, you know, it just takes those little a bit of money and make the whole thing go away and then ready for number three, ready for number four. Next, come on, step on up. Next, it's like that. So you think, wow, I got him to marry me. Well, mine married me and was married to me for 15 years. And that was definitely didn't mean anything to him. I mean, it meant something to me, but I didn't get the memo that he was a narc and that I, that it was all just make-believe. So that's the end of number two. Let's, let's go to the last one. 
the last one that is the third thing that drives the narcissist. And this is the acquisition of character traits or personality um, personality traits. The narcissist and sometimes sociopath um, has no inner core or authentic identity. So they have to stitch one together from their main source of supply that they have coupled with for the purpose of assimilating that person's personality and character traits. One common feature that occurs is called dissociating, which essentially means that they erase memories that challenge their grandiose self-perception and false narrative that justifies their exploitative, antisocial, and cruel behavior. They suffer a type of amnesia because their contact with others is conducted through a fictitious construct called this false persona or the false self. Narcissists never experience reality directly, but only through a distorted lens tempered by magical thinking, projection, blame shifting, revisionist history, entitlement, and numerous other pathological constructs designed to create and protect their false self. The beautiful, charming mask um, remains firmly in place as they move through life. And you don't know what that is when you don't know what's going on. In an attempt to compensate for this these yawning gaps in memory, narcissists and psychopaths, sociopaths, whatever, they confabulate, which means they invent very believable, plausible fillers and scenarios to fill in the gaps and to make up stories of how things might have, could have, or should have conceivably occurred. To everyone else, these fictional Stop gaps appear as lies, but the narcissist fervently believes in their own distorted reality. He may not actually remember what actually happened, but it simply could not have happened in any other way. So they think it must be if they so I guess if they think it must be true, then it is their truth. And I can testify on this one all day long about the things that my narcissist ex, sociopath person, uh, I can tell you hundreds of things that never happened that he says did, things that did happen that he doesn't remember, or he makes some excuse why that's not true. He blames me for a kajillion different things that I didn't do. He takes his own transgressions and sins against me and then flips them to make it look like I either did it or deserved to have it happen to me. And it just goes on and on. His reality is not reality. It's just this blur of um, fantasy uh, and fiction that's kind of got a little bit of, of truth sprinkled in there, enough to make it believable to strangers But to anybody who knows them, I know his own mother must have listened to him recently when he came to visit and just been, she, even though in many ways she's probably culpable for much of what happened to him, she has to recognize that that's not the same person that was sitting in front of her a year or two ago, that he has morphed into 
someone completely different. She has to recognize that. She has to recognize truth that she witnessed with her own eyes and ears that now he is spinning it in a different direction to be something that is false. She has to recognize that, I would think, right? Because I do. And people who who uh, know both of us, they cannot understand how he can be how he's being or say what he's saying or do what he's doing. It's inconceivable to them. They're like, sweet, nice, so-and-so. <laughs> I can't say his name, but that guy, you know, he could, he, what, like, no, how could that happen? That can't be right. But it is right. And that's the crazy part. He, this new, uh, newly, whatever, maskless, revised person that he has become now that he's attached to a new replacement. For me, he has a new mother figure uh, person to feed off of. Now that he has her, he seems more stable, but he's unrecognizable. And what he says about everything well, the people that know what really happened are flabbergasted. (laughs) There's no other word for it. They're just like, oh my gosh, holy guacamole. What is he saying? What, what, what is going on? Uh, These fabricated fantasies are frequently revised. This is just, they're fluid. These, they're fabricated fluid fantasies. How's that for a triple F alliteration? Frequently revised as their inner world and external circumstances change over the passage of time. The result is that they often contradict themselves. They'll say one thing and then they say the opposite. I have written journals, letters, and other bits of correspondence that I have in my possession where he acknowledges, yeah, I have sociopathic, sadomasochistic tendencies. Yeah, I have no empathy for other people's suffering. Yeah, I have this, that, and the other. He wrote it down uh, while he was in therapy and stuff. He 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 acknowledges that he has that, and I and I called him out on that recently, and he said, "Well, I don't know. I don't remember writing anything like that. And if I did, how old was I? I must have been really young because that." is his excuse right now that he uses all the time was that he was too young to know anything or do anything or be responsible for anything in our whole 15 years of marriage because he was too young when we got married. He was like 19 and whatever, you know, he was like not even old enough to know anything. And so that's what he's going to go with, you know? There's people who get married younger than that, who live happily ever after for the rest of their lives. It's probably because they're not narcissists. So I don't know what that has to do with it. But yeah, it falls under that category there. So they confabulate. They can't keep their story straight because they don't possess the emotions or awareness, self-awareness, that are necessary components of real memories. Those memories have to be rooted and anchored and attached to something or else they're just floating around like, like, um, like, like they're not real. They are easily adaptable narcissists. They're easily adaptable to change. And so, cause they're constantly imitating and emulating other people. 
So if their lives exist in this bubble of delusions fueled by magical thinking, false narratives, and a fluid reality defined by a mercurial history, how do they acquire character and personality traits that weave a personal false identity? How do they keep that going? Well, the narcissist sources of fuel and supply serve as external memories and whose function is to maintain a constant flow of affirming and cohering data to ground them and make them seem real uh, or feel real. As a result of early childhood abuse and trauma, this person has had to invent himself, and therefore he doesn't see any problem in reinventing himself every now and then, because if he could do it the first time, back when he was little bitty, then why can't he continue to do it? It becomes like something that they do every so often, just this reinvention. They just burn everything to the ground and start over from scratch. And then they do it again. And each each one is like a lifetime that they had and they built and all of this, sometimes very successful. Some of them are very smart, very talented, and they build this life. And then boom, out of nowhere, they just burn it all to the ground and move on to a blank slate tabla rosa, um, and start building from nothing. They like to be that architect that, you know, is building, uh, and they just forget that they already had a whole other life that was going pretty well, but apparently not for them. Um, so they just keep reinventing, reinventing. The narcissist is his own creator, right? He is his own God. But how does he reinvent himself if there's nothing in his inner landscape to draw from? These people are empty and hollow. They never developed healthy emotions. So how do they cobble together an identity? Well, this is where we get into number three, this whole trait assimilation. They assimilate yours. They're like a giant sponge, a shapeshifter, like a chameleon. They, they, Take piece by piece, bit by bit, they absorb you until their new persona is complete. It's easy to think that you've met your dream come true, your soulmate, your energetic twin flame destined for you and for you only. But, you know, you're only in love with yourself and all that familiarity. It's you being reflected back at you like a mirror. With each new partner, they cannibalize their former construct and replace it with a shiny new one. They may be unrecognizable as you search for the person you knew and loved and slept beside every night, year after year after year, maybe for decades. They become completely different people with completely different identities so fast that you can't even believe what you're witnessing. The old false self is gobbled up and devoured by the new one. And their memory of the previous life just evaporates like it never existed. You know, I think that's the most painful part of recovery from malignant narcissistic abuse is the fact that they hit the erase button and then your whole life together is instantly annihilated and forever extinguished as if it never happened as if it never happened. Every memory, every precious moment spent together, the whole thing 
just burned to the ground. It's invalidating and inhumane. It crushes the heart and soul of those who believed that it was all real. And, you know, like any dead thing, it should be treated with respect and reverence. The narcissist has no past and no future. There is no hope that they can ever be healed. He occupies an eternal present that is fluid and knows no rules or boundaries, reality or connection, emotion or hope. He is an artifact, a tragically beautiful corpse floating in the dark frozen sea of a tempestuous lost childhood. Thanks for listening, guys.